My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today on the Wonder Dome is Mike Trugman. This is a fun one. Mike is the host of a podcast called Mike's Search for Meeting. Uh, I've had the privilege of being a guest on his podcast. It was delightful. He's also been a longtime supporter of the Wonder Dome, uh, and he has gone through a really beautiful journey of growth and transformation of reorienting his career to include space for deep inner work, for coaching, for health and wellness, for mindfulness, coming from a background in accounting and finances. And he stands in both worlds now, skillfully, gracefully, with a lot of curiosity and with a lot of willingness to invite others into his own journey for growth. So when Mike reached out to see uh, if we could do a Wonder Dome conversation together, I immediately said yes. And the thing that I was most curious about, which is a kind of ongoing curiosity as a father of three kids, was how Mike was emerging into that identity uh, with a child, his first child on the way and also having really done some meaningful work to negotiate a deeper connection with his father. Uh, Alan, who has also been a guest on his podcast. I'm like, ah, I gotta get my dad on the podcast. So there's this beautiful um, sense of intergenerational growth and connection and self-actualization that Mike is standing for from a place of curiosity and love and a real willingness to go straight towards some of the hardest topics that speaking for myself as, uh, as a man, as a dad, as a professional, as an entrepreneur, are easy to avoid. Mike doesn't avoid those topics. He goes towards them beautifully, generously, and we had a wonderful, fun, enlightening conversation about how to navigate being a man and being a parent and being a son at this moment in time. So it was fun. It's been really fun for me to be a part of Mike's search for meaning and to invite Mike into my own search for meaning. And uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. So let's get settled in and hear what Mike has for us. All right. Michael Trugman, hello. Welcome. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me. As you know, I'm a big fan of the Wonder Dome, and it is an honor to be a guest. 
Thanks, man. I really appreciate uh, the way that I experience you as showing up, not just in my life, but I sense in the lives of uh, a lot of people around you, maybe everyone around you. I, ha- I haven't gotten the data in on this, but this is my intuition is that you show up as a real champion for other people's best self for for their expressions of love and possibility in this world that has so much fucking pain and hurt and all the stuff that we do to each other. That's not so, not so great. I really experience you as someone who's here for the good stuff. So thank you. Thanks for, Mm. thanks for your, your championship of all that. Mm. Thank you. Andy. my hands already over my heart. So Mm. uh, we're, Mm. we're in a good place. Mm. And I also had the good fortune of being a guest on, on your wonderfully titled show in the spirit of Victor Frankl's essential book, man's search for meaning is your podcast and Mike's search for meaning which was really meaningful to be a guest on that. So thank you for that invitation. And um, you've been on this uh, search for meaning, at least as far as I can tell, for a few years. I mean, you could probably argue for your whole life, but but there's a certain um, energy I'm getting from you, a certain momentum I'm getting for you that seems to me like the past, I don't know, you tell me, but I'm guesstimating five or so years have been uh, have been quite disruptive and transformative and and all and all of the good ways of those words but maybe also in the accompanying challenges of those words that like you're going through some big changes and some big evolutions is that true does that feel like a true gesture of where you're at right now or where you've been (laughs) well andy your timeline is pretty accurate i i would say with intentionality. It's been the last five years or so that I've been looking at what a meaningful life is and what meaning means to me. And there's there's many different reasons why it, it happened at that time. But yes, that, that does seem very true to me. Mm. Mm. What's one of the reasons why it happened at that time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing your inner coach shine right now. <laughs> I think... So my career began in accounting, as you know, and there wasn't a lot of conscious choice behind that. I I did accounting because it matched a skill set that I have. I'm analytical. I'm good with numbers. I'm really good at following rules. And I wanted my parents and society's approval really badly. So Mm. in a lot of ways, I compromised myself and lost myself in the work of big corporate accounting. And I would be presented with the question sometimes around, did, did you have something there? There's something, but finish your thought. Yeah. 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 Just I for mean, those the, listening, Mike and I can see each other. Uh, yes. You're only hearing the audio. So Mike saw me kind of lean in, but then I decided to let you finish your thought. So you've been, go on. Yeah. I'm a sensitive, perceptive person. I thought maybe something was going on there, but I, I mean, there were times where I was asked questions like, can you see yourself being a partner at this accounting firm? Or you might not like it now, but do you see a future there that I I really hid from? And it started to come to a head eventually when I realized about five years ago, this is not my future. I don't know how I ended up here. I, I haven't made any conscious choice about why I ended up in accounting. And in a lot of ways, I was grappling with who am I? Who am I as a person? Like what does what does Mike stand for? I felt incredibly lost. Mm. And there was lots of pain with mm. that. 
So uh, that's when it started to become a little more intentional. And I, I wasn't hiding from these questions so much anymore. That, that's where it began. Hmm. Okay. So the reason I le- leaned in earlier is you sort of shared like, I became an accountant because I'm analytical and I'm good with numbers and I'm good at following rules. And I desperately wanted my parents' approval. And I was like, okay, well, all right. There's a there's like a layer in society's approval. And there's a, a layer of awareness there that I hmm. sense you didn't have from the jump that like, this is the insight you have looking back now. That's right. Could you say more about that? Cause I, I just have to, the story I have in my head about more generally about our society, which uh, happily plugs people into roles that maybe they're good at or good enough at so that society can keep functioning that a lot of people end up in places where where at some moment if they wake up enough to realize that they have that similar insight that you had like how did i get here and mm-hmm. is this it and is this really my future forever and ever ah yeah so like so there's sort of the initial insight of how did i get here but then then there's you start to have to answer that question and it sounds like maybe you realize that it wasn't just that you were pretty good at it but that there were some deeper drives pushing you in that direction is that mm-hmm. right you're absolutely right that in in the moment when I was 26 years old, I, I wasn't saying, you know, I'm here because of I, my desire for my parents' approval and society's approval and the systems are interacting in a certain way that has led me to go down this path. That That is not at all what was happening for me. But <laughs> I think what I what I did recognize was this is not working for me. This hurts a lot. And, mm. and there's how, did, and how other... did you know it hurt? Like, what was the just uh, sorry if I'm bringing you back to a place you'd rather not go back to. But like, I think there's something about the texture of that hurt that that feels important, because I think a lot of people are feeling it, but they don't mm. quite even know what it is. It just is a kind of existential hurt. Yeah, I felt it in my heart and I can feel it in my heart right in this moment. So there was a, before I had the language for the somatic work, I just felt a sense of dread in my body showing up to work every day. And mm-hmm. and where that shows up for me, dread shows up in my heart. There's a sinking feeling. I, I feel like um, uh, making myself smaller. I, I feel it in my gut as well. So th- those are like the the basic spots where I really started to feel it. And where I started to make some headway around this was working with other people, incredible people like yourself, who are coaches, who helped me tap into what alignment looks like for me. And so this is uh, five years ago is when I started to delineate what what do people want from me? What does society want? What do my parents want from me? And what do I care about? Which is a question I hadn't bothered to ask myself in in any sort of meaningful way. And when I started to get clear on what mattered to me, there were a couple of different angles to look at this. And one was actually around what pained me. Like what was, I think the question that resonated most with me when I first started getting into this work is, what's a challenge in the world that you believe is easily fixable or solvable? Hmm. And I started Hmm. to get in touch with how much I care about like every single time I, I live in the New York City area, if I pass someone who is without a house, who is unhoused on the streets, there's a level of pain that I had learned to shut off in mm-hmm. myself that 
when I started to open myself up again, I, I'm start, I've now allowed more of the pain to come in. And what it, what it taught me about what matters to me is I want everyone to have access to a beautiful, meaningful life. I'll pause here because I, I think that uh, you're starting to get me on one now and there's a lot of directions we can go, but I, that's, so I, I think I learned some of the ways to get in touch with what the pain was communicating to me and stopped trying to hide from the pain or medicate mm. the pain mm. away, drink mm. with alcohol, the pain away, distract the pain away. All of that became, it, it was not viable anymore for me. Mm. Mm. This feels really important what you're saying this. Um, yeah, there's a part of me kind of coming in going like, well, hold on, don't don't trivialize this because some people are really in a lot of pain. So so before I say what I'm about to say, I want to honor that each of us is doing our best. Like life is painful and each of us is doing our best. So I didn't hear you say that that like there's a that any of those things you were doing to hide from your pain or mitigate your pain were like morally bad. I just heard mm -hmm. you say they weren't viable anymore. Right. So just like to honor that uh, people in, in pain, it is human to seek relief from pain. And our society produces a lot of psychological and emotional and physical pain for a lot of people, period. And what I hear you saying that feels really, really important, like essentially important is that our pain can be instructive, that our pain can actually point us towards the place in the world that is uniquely ours to stand in. Mm -hmm. That there's something about our pain that points to a violation or a gap or a loss or a, you know, a hurt that if we choose to stop running from it can actually somehow paradoxically help us heal, help us grow, help us become more fully who we are. And that is beautiful. That's really beautiful that you, you just kind of reached a point where the pain of not doing something was greater than the pain of doing something. That if you just stayed where you were, it would be too much, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. It was, for me, it feels like it was a, well, first of all, I, Thank you for presenting that, right? That there's nothing, I don't want this to be a moral high ground of, I, I've made a lot of amends with my past versions of myself and I have a, immense compassion for when I drank a lot, when I was coping in the best way I knew how. And if that is the best way that someone knows how right now, I have immense compassion for them. That the world can feel really overwhelming. So what, what was happening for me, I think there was this call that I could no longer ignore, which you started to point to around, who am I? Like, who is Mike Trugman? I, I just didn't know who I was and, and what does it mean to be alive? And so the ways that I was chasing aliveness at the time were a lot of times it was through television shows, movies. And weekends where I would party and even do drugs like cocaine sometimes to hunt for that aliveness. It felt like I'm not getting it in my everyday life. So on Saturday night, I am going to go out and drink and party and do whatever it takes to feel alive because my life is absent of this. Mm. And and so, yes, that's the pain there started to feel like I know this isn't working either. 
I feel terrible for days after I, that, that sinking dread feeling was there on weekends too. And so it mm. became, mm. it became such that I knew that what I was doing was, was just not working. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't personally willing to tolerate that anymore. There's a, a specific memory I have with my then girlfriend, my now wife of being on a trip together. We were in Thailand and we were sitting down. It was a little bit before dinner, relaxing together. And I was in the middle of a particularly hard project at work at that point. And I, I said to her, I know that I've said this a million times, but I'm just done with the way that I'm doing my professional life right now. It's, it's just not working for me. I've tried the little tiny pivots. I've tried doing whatever without blowing up my life. I've, I've tried to do these little switches and I just can't do that. I'm, I'm finally going to step out of my comfort zone a little bit here and take action on it. And, and within two months after I started working with a life coach, a shared connection by the name of Michael Stern, I know that he's been a guest on the Wonder Dome as well. And he started Mike to help me Stern. get Stern. He's a yes. badass. Oh, I didn't know that's that's awesome. I love that connection. And he he really helped me start to get in touch with those big questions in a way that felt accessible to me and not uh, too big. Because there's a way that if I tried to do all this on my own, it would have been too big. I felt that paralysis uh, many times early on and still do to a certain extent sometimes. Wow. You said... Uh like when you're sharing this with your partner in Thailand, like, I know I've said this a thousand times, but I'm like, it's not working. So this was the thousandth and one time that you like, you've said this. Yeah. Just like, just take us a little, a little bit closer. I feel like we're almost there, but a little bit closer. There's some energy, some forward momentum, some commitment that 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 you had spoken to but hadn't actually enacted that now this time two months later you've hired a life coach and you're acting you're you're making strides like what do you have a sense of what what had shifted or helped you kind of move from the like okay i know this sucks to okay i'm going to try to do something about it one one big shift that well there were two big shifts that happened in my life at that point one was i I placed a lot of emphasis on the life partner I had. And so I, I started dating my wife right around the time that I started to get into this work. And so there was, there was a part of me that was holding out hope that if I just found the right romantic partner, that was the only thing that really mattered. And so that was one of the things that I said, okay, I'm in a really good committed relationship. And I still feel really hollow and empty. At, at work and and in terms of just feeling alive in in my everyday life so there's that was one element that i said i can't hang my hat on that thing anymore the hell of a, that's a hell of a burden to put on someone isn't it to say like oh, yes it is now you're here now you now i'll be alive and full and whole yeah. yes i think the bigger thing though andy that shifted for me was at that point I had made, there were two big changes in my life that started to give me the confidence that I can start to address other things that I previously thought were unaddressable. One, as a young kid, I was very athletic. I loved playing sports. And in the beginning of my career, I put all that aside. I had gained 
probably 40 more pounds than I'm carrying right now. I was taking Adderall to get through the day. And uh, one of the big shifts I made was I started to go to the gym a little bit more. I was consistently working out. I was in really good shape. And the, the, uh, the other probably more important aspect of this was I started to eat a lot healthier. And what I would posit when consistently eating healthy, at least this is true for me, is if we, I like to think of humans as almost like TV antennas and, and my signal was very fuzzy for mm. most of my life because mm. I wasn't, I wasn't moving well. I wasn't eating well, at, at least in my professional life. And once I was moving well and eating well, I became an antenna with a lot more clarity. So there was, a, there was a, a level of being able to listen to myself that mm. wasn't available mm. beforehand. And the confidence that I got from making those changes transposed into, I can apply this to other areas of my life. I mean, I hadn't eaten a vegetable my whole life, basically, until I was 26 years old. I'm like, if I could start eating vegetables and enjoy vegetables, then I think I'm, I'm willing to at least look more closely at the other areas of my life that aren't working. Oh, dude, that's such a, yeah. Yeah, so you're like, by simply taking better care of your body uh, and like allowing yourself to move more and eat better, you were able to like listen better and hear better, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Just noticing that like health correlates, at least for you, correlates to like receptivity to your capacity to notice and act on things that otherwise would have been really fuzzy and just kind of come through as a generalized despair or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just love this, like, uh, I can transpose this. If I can fucking eat a vegetable, even though I haven't done it for 26 years, what else haven't I been doing for 26 years that I could get curious about? Yeah. And I, this feels really important to me because there's something, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but let me try and formulate. Uh, this is this is a bit of a projection here uh, about like what I care about. So if it doesn't resonate with you, tell me, but gosh, there are just times when like, I get so exhausted with um, how uncomfortable any ounce of nonconformity can make people. It's exhaust. Like, I'm just like, where are you in there? Hello in there. Like, mm. are you really so, is that really it? Like, you're not going to try this food because you've never tried it before and it looks icky. Like, are you too? You know, and I realize this is not a very generous energy, but I just want to like, I'm going to let it flow through me because it's here. Mm -hmm. Like, there's something about, uh, on a deep level, I have compassion that like we conform because it, it makes us feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. You became an accountant because as you started to discover, it made you feel safe. Or at least you were trying to make yourself feel safe. So we all do this, right? And like the clothes I'm wearing and the way I've styled my hair and the glasses that like, there's all sorts of ways I'm doing this too. So I, I don't want to like somehow give myself too much credit here, but gosh, it's just the act of conforming is exhausting. And the yeah. act of like seeing people resist taking even the smallest risks to their like the identity that's kind of calcified over 25, 26 years is exhausting. And, and I just really want to appreciate like, well, shit, maybe I could try some deep breathing. Oh, shit. Maybe I could try and like 
talking to someone about my daddy issues. Maybe that wouldn't be so, maybe that wouldn't be so terrible because I ate vegetables and that didn't kill me. Actually, it made me stronger. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just, I just like, okay, good. I like really want to celebrate that you're having the inverse experience of like, oh, maybe a little bit of nonconformity is exactly what I need right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How's that? It lands a lot. So your projection is one that I share that it's actually been a source of a lot of my inner work, Andy, is is holding compassion for the other people in my life or just general people who are still on that path of conformity, who aren't willing to make that shift yet. And and actually, paradoxically, when I allow more space for the parts of myself that want to be in conformity, like there's a part of me that just wishes I was a fucking average Joe that didn't care, like never woke up, just was cool with punching in, punching out at a job. And so (laughs) instead of, instead of brutalizing that part of myself, I, there's a, there's a level of what you, what you started to point to. Yeah. Like safety does feel good in a way it does. And there, so I, I can recognize that part in me too, but Yes. Uh, when I started to wake up to, oh, it feels good to make choices that are aligned with me and whether or not other people approve of that, it, that's not my burden to carry anymore. Mm. It started to shift uh, everything. Everything started to shift in me. I mean, when I, so when I first started working with a coach, even the thought of having a blog or an Instagram account that was dedicated to this, this new emerging version of me, I felt like, man, I'm going to lose all my friends. Mm. I'm gonna, like they're going to, they're going to see me in a way that I have never allowed myself to be seen mm. and mm. they're not going to like me anymore. Mm. And so uh, like on a deep level, and I, I know that you and Michael Ikonu talk about this, like a change comes with loss mm. and it's painful. It can be painful. But once, once I learned how to metabolize that and, and let go have compassion, but also let go of ways that aren't serving me anymore and step more into nonconformity. There is a certain aliveness and eros and, and beauty of life that I started to get in touch with that it, it then becomes over time after years of doing this, it's it's hard to imagine ever embodying life differently or or having a different way of being because it just it feels so good to experience all of it. And, and that's not to belittle. There are times where it feels like, man, the pain of all this is so hard. And I wasn't open to this five years ago. So (laughs) it'd be nice to just be able to turn that part off, but making space for all of it. Like that's what so much of the great art of our culture and art of the world and, and poetry points to. That's what you do such a good job of in the, in the podcast is when we wake up to all of that, then everything in life, Talk, talk about bringing this back to meaning, then everything in life feels vital in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. And I, and I really honor and love the part of me that's like, and sometimes I just want to be an average Joe, <laughs> like whatever that is, whatever, you know, the just, yeah. Even that in a way can be more meaningful to see that you can choose that, to, that you can choose to say yes to to life, you can choose to hide from it, at least for a little while, until it breaks through your defenses. But you have some choice. You have a lot more choicefulness than than the 26-year-old the version felt like you had. And that feels really 
that feels just a, uh, yeah. If I had to choose a, a future path for my children, if I could pass on some kind of gift to them, it would be that, that there's so much outside of our control, but to the extent that you can say yes to life, whatever it's bringing towards you, that's, that's going to open up a lot of meaning and joy and vitality. So thanks for speaking to that. Mm-hmm. Of course. I also have I also have some insider news here on the day we're recording this in early August. You are weeks away, if not minutes away, touch wood from the arrival of your first child. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. And you also shared with me that you just recently spent like, was it a weekend or longer than a weekend with your dad in like a retreat? Mm -hmm. And um I'll just share like someone, I can't remember who helped like just sort of pointed and, and validated something that's that's underneath the scenes for me about doing a podcast like this. You know, like, yes, there are parts of me that want to be rich and and be like beloved by many and, you know, be the next Tim Ferriss, except even better because because gosh, how did, how did Tim not think not to ask that question? Come on, bro. Like what? You know, there's all of that is here and I can like let that be here. But you know what? Like it genuinely is true for me that I've recorded something like this is like my 130th conversation or something like that. And, you know, one day if they want to, maybe after I'm dead when I'm old or maybe, I don't know, maybe in five years, my kids will listen to some of these conversations. And, uh, Gosh, I wish I could like open a computer hard drive somewhere and find hours of recorded audio of, of my granddad's voice or my grandma's voice. Mm. Gosh, I wish I could find something they had written or like just the interiority of these people who without whom I wouldn't exist. That's pretty potent. And so I'm just really in like you're the moment you're in is really putting in me in touch with the potency of that. And the choices you've made as part of your of this journey of opening and inviting life in is to like, hey, I'm going to be a dad soon. So, hey, dad, like, hey, my dad, before I become a dad, there's some stuff we need to do together. Mm-hmm. Will you come with me to this retreat? Could you just mm-hmm. like, I'm just sort of invoking possibilities here. What comes up for you? Can you talk a bit more about like how you relating to what I'm saying and maybe share a bit more about what's what's up for you as a dad to be <laughs> this work you did with your dad? Yeah. I want to I want to share something with you uh, because the the Tim Ferriss bit was was something that resonated with me and I actually one time in a coaching session I was doing with our shared friend Yotam who is my coach he's a mentor figure yeah. for me he's he been on the Wonder a couple of times he's great he's been on a couple of times and one of, I think his most recent appearance he complimented how good of a listener you are which I. agree with you are number one goals for listener. And in one of my, (laughs) one of my sessions, sorry, sorry, I didn't catch that. Could you just say that one more time? (laughs) (laughs) Well, one, one of my sessions I did with Yotam, I said that actually evoked something like I want to be the world's Andy to me is goals and world's best listener. And I want to be the world's best listener. (laughs) And, and so I identify with the part of you that wants to be the best and have a, a massive following. I, I just wanted to bring that into mm, mm, uh, the mm. awareness right now. And mm. yeah, I am, I'm happy to share 
there's there's so many things I could share about the experience I had with my dad in that weekend. So it, it was a weekend. It was a Friday evening into Sunday evening, 48 consecutive hours, no phone, camping in the woods. And it was with an organization called All Kings that, as I was telling you before we jumped on here, they do really powerful transformational work with mostly men, but I think they're doing men and women now, who were formerly incarcerated and a lot of youth who are at risk. So people that typically are people of color, come from low income backgrounds and maybe had absent parents and certainly almost in every case have a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. And so on one level of it, I wanted to have this experience because I, this was another calling that I got. I, I got tired of just listening to all the cool podcasts about uh, people who are doing this amazing work and, and not embodying it. I felt like I'm not embodying these things that I care about. Going to a weekend like this mm-hmm. is going to help me embody things that I care about in a way that I I can't possibly get from just listening to someone talk about it. Hmm. And right before the weekend, maybe two or three weeks before the weekend, I was having a conversation with my dad. He was opening up to me about things and uh, him and I both have a propensity to get lonely and not ask for help when Hmm. we are lonely. Like Hmm. we, we go, we retreat and go into our shell a little bit, but we've always had each other. Hmm. Oh, that's sweet. It's it's beautiful. What's, what's your dad's name, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, his name is Alan. Alan. Okay. Yes. Alan. So, so Alan and I were having this beautiful conversation, and something happened in me that said, you know what, Dad? I, if you're looking to feel more connected with a committed group of men, I haven't done this experience, but I know that men's work is really powerful. All Kings came highly recommended to me. I had already signed up for the weekend, and I invited my dad to come with me. And I thought I had resolved a lot of my daddy issues before that weekend, but a lot, <laughs> a lot happened during that weekend. So I think I've, I've made it clear what was important to me about why I attended before my dad came. But, but once we were there, what became apparent to me was there were a couple of things. One was I had made contact with some of my core wounds a few times in coaching sessions, but I'd never really actually addressed them face-to-face with my dad before. Could you say like a little bit more about what you mean by core wounds? Just... Yes. And I was I was going to go there, but yes, core wounds are the the beliefs that underlie a lot of the ways that I show up when, I, when I'm reacting or in scarcity or feel like, you know, like pouncing on someone because I don't feel seen or heard. It's probably because one of these things is getting poked in me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So one of them is there's no room for me. That's one of the beliefs that emerged that over the course of this weekend. There's no room for me or I don't matter. Maybe would be another way to say it. Mm. Mm. Nobody gets me. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Those are things that if I don't feel seen or heard or feel a level of disconnect that come up to the surface really quickly for me. Mm. And and if you're familiar with psychodrama, one, one of the things that we did over the course of the weekend was we got clear on what those core wounds were. So there was a level of presencing of that belief of nobody gets me and there's no room for me. Mm-hmm. We connected with where that came from, what was the origin. And in psychodrama, there's 
a conversation that can be had. It's usually not with your actual mother or father, but usually our programming comes from our mother or father. You find someone that's in the group there to hold the energy of mother or father and you enact, reenact a scene in your life that was really important mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. And so I was on the, you know, I was doing my mat work. I had gotten clear on those beliefs. I was already starting to get really choked up. And one of the really skilled facilitators said to me, well, Mike, we have to ask you, I mean, you don't have to pick an energetic stand-in for your father right now. Your, your father is here. Are you willing to have this conversation with your father right now? Yeah. Were you like, no, damn it. You, let me act it out with somebody else. <laughs> uh, definitely. Yeah. You know, average Joe guy who wants to go back to sleep definitely was screaming. Don't do it, Mike. Don't, don't get your dad in here. Don't talk to him about this stuff. Oh, and I, I did say, yes, I would love to have this conversation mm. with my mm. dad. Mm. Mm. And uh, yeah, I actually have right next to me, I have this rock to commemorate that experience. It's, it's, it was given to me right after I had the conversation with my dad to serve as a, a totem, a, a memory of that experience that when I hold it against my heart, I, I can really place myself there. And that was part of the the power of doing this whole experience outdoors in the woods unplugged. But I felt really held by my father in a way that I I previously haven't because I I never actually let him see how much that hurt, how much it hurt for me to carry those beliefs. And mm -hmm. it was met with this pure, unconditional love. He wasn't getting defensive about it. He wasn't trying to fix me. I was just gutturally sobbing, wailing, talking about how I felt like I had to be there for all of you. I had to be there for mom, dad, and my sister. And I never felt like my needs had the space that they needed. And I, I felt like I had to be perfect all the time and all this, all this stuff. I don't even remember. It was an out-of-body experience, but those are certainly a couple of the things that came up. And after I had worked through it, the facilitator said, is, is there anything else you need here, Mike, right now. And I just said, get your ass over here, dad. I need to give you a big hug. And we had this beautiful embrace that uh, I think forever transformed our relationship. And so, yes, as I look into fatherhood, there's, hmm, I love the way, so there, I, I want to acknowledge, I see the nonconformist in you around how you look at time. And I, I actually felt the way that time was deconstructed in that moment where my dad and I were hugging that it was healing for his father wounds. Like I saw my dad working through his father wounds mm. with my grandpa, who's mm. no longer with us. But, mm. uh, you know, by most accounts, my father had a much more challenging childhood than I did. And, I, you know, we made space for the fact that everyone has their, their challenges. But anyway it felt like time flattened. Like mm -hmm. I, I saw my dad making amends with his past, mm -hmm. with his father. And I'm sure that that healed a long lineage of angry men who were doing the best they could, but just didn't, didn't know how to be with their feelings. And it was healing with the way that I am going to be as a father as well, that mm -hmm. I, I can see the level of courage that I brought to that conversation is the courage I want to bring to having hard conversations with my son and what I want to model with my son, that if I mess up, I'm going to, I'm going to project some of my shit onto my son. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and that's, 
instead of trying to be so perfect, like I've pointed out to my dad, I just felt like I needed to be perfect all the time. Instead of trying to be perfect and never trigger my son and never make a mistake, those are those are really old patterns of mine. To to just be willing to have these hard conversations with not only with my son but with other people in my life in a really compassionate and uh, you know not reactive way from a, from a place of I'm just speaking what is true to me, not to step over you, but so that we can actually have repair. That there's there's beauty in this tension that we're having right mm. now. Mm. And so, yeah, I felt like my my fatherhood made a massive shift that uh, I I wasn't even I wasn't going into that weekend thinking that's what I needed, but that was the medicine I needed. Oh, oh my God, what a story. What a story. Mm. Yeah, there's a part of me going like, I don't know that my dad would ever say yes to an invitation like that. Like, I just want to celebrate Alan for... It sounds like you all, he and you together had already created a space where you could have meaningful conversations. Yes. Meaningful enough that that the voice in you could go, wait a minute, I have an idea. Come with me to this. And then for him to say yes, and then for him to sit. Yeah, that's really special. And maybe okay. I need to like look at the part of me that thinks that my dad would never do something like that. Because I can feel the like longing in me to go, boy, I would really, I would really like to get on that approach, on that channel on that wavelength with my dad to get a sense of who he is and what he's carrying yeah yeah can i can i share something I, there's a couple of thoughts that come up about Please. this so i want to applaud and acknowledge my father for the level of trust like that's something i aspire to as a father too that he he didn't know anything about all kings he just knew i trust my son i trust mm -hmm. mike and i'm gonna i'm gonna join him here mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens so there's a mm -hmm. level for someone who didn't grow up with any level of trust, who was criticized all the time, like I have so much empathy and compassion for my dad. He was such a great father. And the, so the trust that he showed going on that weekend with me wow. is really something special. I learned from. And something else that you're pointing to here that I, I think it's really powerful about these group containers is that the the yearning and longing that you're speaking about was true for many of the other men who were there too. And as a matter of fact, while I was doing my work with my dad, there were a couple of people who had to excuse themselves from the circle because they, I'm projecting a little bit, but I did have one specific conversation with someone who said, I just wish that I could have this type of conversation with my mm -hmm. dad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a level of pain that I want to present here that, yeah, like not everyone gets to have that conversation with their dad and that hurts a lot. But one proxy we can have is if we if we show up in a group container like that, like there were there were things that other people were speaking of that I haven't had the opportunity to make contact with that I in some ways was able to hitch a ride on and vicariously mm -hmm. live through mm -hmm. that wouldn't be possible in a one on one because I, I love one on one coaching. But the, this group container, it, it held something. It held a level of transformation that isn't possible in other spaces. So being able to hitch a ride on someone else's work was, was another one of the recurring themes of the weekend. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this sounds like at the risk of kind of being too grandiose or too sort of oversimplified, like 
there's a voice in me that says like the the work that that was happening in that group that's happening in lots of groups around the country and around the world although relative to the places where it's not happening like there's a big gap between the people who are saying yes to this work and the people who could be if it just i can't help but think and feel that if more men had a chance at the very least had a chance to acknowledge that they wish they could have that kind of conversation with their dad even if it's not possible even if there's dad's dead or he would never in a million years say yes to it because of how how he who he's become and how he sees the world just to like go oh my god so much of my hurt and frustration is because i never got to say xyz to my dad and be heard in that I just can't help but think that boy would that do everyone a, a whole shit ton of good. <laughs> like <laughs> just yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, Andy, I, I share that deeply with you. I mean, that's that's one of my strongest yearnings and longings for this world is that I mean, if we all got a chance to experience this medicine in some way. It's not that challenges would melt away. I think it's quite the opposite. We would, we would actually just be more willing to look at these challenges in a productive, healthy, meaningful way, right? So uh, in a very personal way, one of the things that shifted for me was my story around anger and conflict. Anger is bad. Conflict is bad. Those are things that I've learned over time. And, and because of these types of healing conversations, I am now able to see the, the beauty in conflict and the beauty of anger and, and what a healthy expression of both of those is. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it, uh, what I'm in touch with right now is if, if we all had some opportunity to experience this medicine, if, if we let it in, in whatever way feels right for us, it feels like the things that are really far outreaching. Like I, I know that this podcast is centered around what your fiercest hope for humanity is. Mm -hmm. And, and one of my fiercest hopes for humanity, Andy, is that we, if we knew just how incredible we each were individually and, and knew that we were enough and came from a place of sufficiency and that there's something like healing that, that we've done our healing and that there's something beautiful that we have to offer, then a lot of the, polarization and othering and uh, resistance to change that stuff would like the noise would start to settle down and we would really be able to see each other what if we all lived in a world that we could truly see each other not from the identities and stories that we have made up are the most important but really just saw all of us mm -hmm. that is my fiercest hope for humanity mm. that we could really be in that place mm. Wow. Thanks for that, Mike. I mean, there's a part of it that's like, all right, there it is. There's our conversation, folks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> maybe, but maybe I just have one more kind of curiosity, because in a way you sort of, although I wasn't going to quite ask it in the way you answered it, you've answered it, but maybe I'll just kind of like, presence one more gentle thread that that might run out past beyond this conversation but if if your son 
were to listen to this conversation at some point, maybe when he's 16 or 21 or 42, what would you want him to hear? Maybe you've already said it and you just want to underline it. Maybe you haven't said it. Maybe there's a new way you want to say it. Take your time with that. What would you want your son to hear if you were to hear this at some point in the future? Yeah. Instead of just giving a, a canned answer, I'm I'm gonna I'm dropping into my body and feeling into this one. Take your time. Well, I I would definitely want him to know how much I love him unconditionally mm-hmm. right even if i project certain conditions onto him sometimes i want him to know that baseline i just i love you so much unconditionally mm-hmm. and i hope that you get in touch with what's possible for you knowing that you are loved unconditionally not just by me but that you just are loved unconditionally mm-hmm. and if that feels true for you my boy then where do you want to go in this beautiful life? Like what, where do you want to take us with you? Mm-hmm. I hope we get to hear what his answer is someday. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, Mike. Thanks for a beautiful conversation. That mm-hmm. really, that really touched me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like anything else at this point would just be window dressing. So Uh, I want to express deep gratitude for the fact that life has brought us together multiple times for your offerings to the world, for the gift your son is going to get of having a dad who's doing his work and a granddad who's doing his work. Go Alan, go Mike. (laughs) That's one lucky little dude right there. who's about to arrive when he does. And uh, yeah, thanks Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. It's it's really been a privilege to be here. I I know when I reached out to you, there was a real level of fear and not enoughness. And I think I reached out to you at some point before this retreat. So a, a lot has shifted for me from that retreat. But yeah, I'm just I, I guess I'm saying this to speak to I, I think I always feel more centered and grounded and in my power paradoxically when I when I speak to the more tender parts of myself. And when I reached out to be on the show, there was a big part of me that was thinking, why is Andy going to want me on his show when he, when he's had so many other guests who are air quotes so much further along, more evolved, more Mm -hmm. enlightened Mm -hmm. than me. And uh, it was, it was a beautiful privilege to be able to share a, a little bit about me and who I am and what that journey has been like for me on this platform where it, it felt like not, I was not enough, not that long ago. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. And there's something wonderfully fortuitous about the fact that we kind of had to reschedule and somehow managed to time yes. it, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure the conversation we, we would have had a month or two ago would have been wonderful, but I just really, this was like, I didn't know how much I needed this, this, as you call it medicine. So timing this time thing that you pointed to the way that it seems sometimes it seems like just works on a level that you can't plan for so i love the part of you that said fuck it i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it even if i don't feel like i deserve it 
And I, and I honor the part of you that felt like that was edgy. And I love that uh, here we are as a result of that intuition that you had. Here we are a couple months later, like exploring this really rich territory that otherwise we wouldn't have been able to. So thanks for creating that possibility. Mm-hmm. Of course. And All right. thanks again, Andy. You bet. And if people want to check out, you do like public speaking and coaching. And do you still do some accounting work or is that how you have, it's like, what's the like, if people want to find you and get get your help, how do they do that? Yeah, I do still do accounting work, but that wouldn't be the best place to connect with me. So I, I have a website. It's MikeTrugmanCoaching.com. My podcast is Mike's Search for Meaning. It's it's pretty much available, as you would say, anywhere that pods are casted. <laughs> uh, I do a public speaking course that meets once a week. We'll we'll see how that evolves. It's it's brand new. Uh, but yeah, that's that's connected to my website as well, the public speaking course. And I think from there, you, you'll see all the other ways that you can connect with me. Yep. Gorgeous. Well, thanks again. And thanks everyone for listening. In. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.